Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet. Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. Today, we're going to check in on the latest with Quarterback Watch. We'll tackle the correlation between money and production when it comes to the quarterbacks of the AFC West. And we'll take a question or two from the Mile High Mailbag. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented by Mile High Huddle. It's time to drop some knowledge and have a little fun while we're at it. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me, as always, is Will Keyes, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Now, Will, you just had a birthday, as we touched on last week, but your birthday coincides with that of a Broncos quarterback of yore. How does it feel, my friend, to share your birthday with football greatness? Yeah, uh, it's great to share a a birthday with Bubby Brister. I think every kid growing up dreams to uh, have that type of coincidence going on in their life. No, it's it's John Elway, and so I was born on June 28th, and so was he. And then my dad was born in the same year as John Elway, 1960. Mm. So if you put my dad and I together, technically we add up to equal one John Elway. (laughs) That's right, that's right. Well, we, uh, we have a lot to talk about today, but first, we want to say thank you to today's sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. Over 180,000 different titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. For those of you who listen to the show each and every week, you know I'm a big believer in this service, this app. I listen to it and utilize it just about every day, whether it's on my commutes or if I'm, you know, puttering around the house, in the yard, in the kitchen, whatever it might be. It allows me to consume the books I'm interested in without sitting down and actually having to physically turn the pages. Now, I'm a big, voracious reader, and so this really helps, but even if you're not, Audible is a great way to consume those books in a way that is efficient and you can fit it into your life. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. It's also a great way to support the show. Now we're here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, and we need your help. We can't grow the show without you. Every week, Will and I ask you to rate the show on iTunes and Stitcher, and there's a big reason for it. We touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to remind you, iTunes and Stitcher, they have algorithms, and they're based on users not only downloading and listening to the show, but also rating and commenting. And for those of you who have taken our calls to action to heart, I give you props. It's much appreciated. Helps us out tremendously. But to every listener, if you haven't done it yet, just take a second. Rate the show on Stitcher uh, if you're an Android user, and on iTunes, of course, if you're Apple. Follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Also, make sure you're following at Mile High Huddle. Take a second, too, if you're on Facebook, which who isn't nowadays, and like the Mile High Huddle page. Uh, We're knee-deep, of course, in the dead time on the NFL calendar, but Will and myself, along with Nick Kendall and Carl Dummler, we're not resting on our laurels. We're going to keep bringing you compelling Broncos content until training camp kicks off on July 27th. And, 
you're not going to want to miss a single episode. Now, let's dive right in to quarterback watch. Now, yesterday, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus tweeted out an interesting statistic regarding one Trevor Simeon from last year. He said, quote, Trevor Simeon took only four sacks on 167 blitzed dropbacks, narrowly edging out Tom Brady. Crazy considering the offensive line. Close quote. Now, it is an unbelievable stat. It's hard to kind of wrap the brain around, but a very knowledgeable listener made an interesting comment on Twitter at Dylan Z the West pointed out that it would be illuminating to at least know the stats within the stat. For example, how many times did Simeon connect on those blitzes he avoided? How many times did he throw it away? You know, what was his completion percentage? What was his touchdown to interception ratio? So having not charted each and every snap, it's hard for, I mean, Will and I don't have the answers there other than just looking at his core stat line from the season. And we can get into that angle, but Will, it's an impressive signature stat from PFF. And if Trevor Simeon wins the open competition at quarterback, it's an encouraging one at that. Yeah, I think Dylan makes a good point when he brings up, uh, you know, what actually happened on those plays when he was blitzed. Of course, unless it's an interception, uh, an incompletion, whatever, a short pass, it's pretty much all a better option than getting sacked, which he only did four times. But I think for Trevor Simeon, it shows a couple of things that are pretty encouraging. First of all, it shows that he's got some pre-snap intelligence because in order to beat the blitz, you have to know where it's coming from. And then after that, you have to see through the disguises that the defenses are putting on. And then post-snap, you have to quickly find that hot read uh, after the ball is snapped and the guys are literally just coming at you and getting in your face. Right. And you're, you know, you've got a 250-pound man trying to pile drive you into the ground. So it takes a little bit of toughness as well. That's a good point. But another thing I wanted to bring up, and it, it's not all on the quarterback. It's not all Trevor Simeon's fault or it's not all credit to Trevor Simeon. Blitzes aren't just the lineman's responsibility and it's not all the quarterback's responsibility. Uh, the running backs have a big responsibility staying in and picking up blitzes, recognizing where the blitz is coming from and actually putting a hat on those guys. Yep. And so do the tight ends when uh, the quarterback makes a change at the line and calls a max protection. So I think it's also a credit to guys like C.J. Anderson, Devontae Booker, Justin Forsett, you know, a veteran who they brought in uh, at the end of last season, then guys like uh, Virgil Green, who's really an exceptional blocker, Jeff Hireman, all those guys. I mean, to me, it just speaks to... And I've said this all along, my analysis on Trevor Simeon has been consistent dating back to the end of the season, and I was even saying it during the season, and that is that you know he exceeded my expectations. There was so much about Trevor Simeon's uh, 14 starts that I loved, that was very encouraging, and that frankly, I think, you know, in a, in a perfect world, the Broncos would have something to build around, or at least there's, there's potential there to, to see more. He has an opportunity to really build on what he put in place last year if he can win this competition. And my whole thing about Paxton Lynch is, you know, it's not that I'm a Paxton Lynch homer. It's that the Broncos put themselves in a really tough position this time around, having drafted him in the first round last year. And first-rounders have to play, especially quarterbacks. In fact, I was watching an interesting, I think it was NFL Films on YouTube. Of course, the 28th uh, was not only 
the illustrious Will Key's birthday, but John Elway. That's right. And in, That's right. And, and to honor it, NFL Films put out this this really interesting. It's like thirty minutes long, so make sure you have some time to sit down and watch it. But go to YouTube, find NFL Films, and check it out. That basically kind of covers John Elway's career in a thirty minute production. And in it was an interesting quote. And if I would have thought we were, I should have thought to pull the quote. But anyway, uh, he talks about you know his early the first two three years in this in the league how much he struggled and the ups and downs and what he had to go through to really figure this thing out at the pro level. And he said, now this was a quote taken from long before he ever became an NFL executive. Okay, so keep this in mind. But in that uh, production, he was quoted as basically saying, and I'll paraphrase, that I learned in the only way quarterbacks truly learn, which is by actually playing, going through the ups and downs, the bumps and bruises, the trial and error, however you want to define it. Is yep. it, it took that trial and error process for him to get to the point in his point in the AFC championship game in 1987, where they defeated the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. So they were on the road. That was the game with the drive. And he talked about how that all culminated in that point. And see, for me, I just, when it comes to quarterbacks and really first rounders in general, but especially quarterbacks, I just believe that, that they have, you got to play them at some point, you have to roll the dice and at the very least see what you have. And with Trevor Simeon though, he's still in a position where, you know, he's, he's got the upper hand, he's the veteran and the recent accounts out of OTAs and minicamp, which I, as we've talked about in recent episodes, I do feel like that has an, uh, an impact on the overall question of who wins the job, but the real work, going to come down to july 27th and beyond yeah i think that's that's kind of a dilemma and i'm glad you brought that up because that's something i grapple with all the time and i know a lot of people in football do is with your young quarterbacks is it better to start them right away and let them uh kind of learn on the job or sit them for a while and i think uh the john elway situation had football minds thinking that well, this is the one tried and true way to do it right. is to put them out there and let them, you know, take their hits, kind of just feel their way through it, lose games for a while. And then, you know, eventually they'll break through in year three or year four. But then in the mid 2000s, Aaron Rodgers came along and they sat him for what was it? Three years, uh, three, three years under Brett Favre. And he comes out and he doesn't win a lot of games in 2008. But statistically, he looks really good. Uh, you know, he passes the eyeball test, everything. And then he, he hasn't – I don't think he's missed the, the playoffs since 2009. So, right. obviously, the, you didn't uh, take long to figure out how to actually follow through and win games. But that that's kind of put us at a crossroads because, you know, there's still that back and forth. Like, we don't know what to do. And then that question came up with Brock Osweiler, and he looked good for a while. And it's like, well, now we got to draft guys and let them sit under the – the incumbent quarterback for you know whatever four years sometimes which that's not always plausible because you have to sign a guy at the end of four years if they're not a first round pick and we're going to see that with with pat mahomes eventually because people assume that he's going to sit for a year or two under alex smith so it's a question that is baffled football guys for a long time and i don't know if we'll ever have an answer yeah and the bottom line is that you know, it is a competition, and in order for the Denver Broncos to name Paxton Lynch the starter, he has to earn it. He has to go out and literally wrest it away from Trevor Simeon. And, yep. you know, he's shown some encouraging signs, and good for him, but he's we've yet to see him actually have that defining moment where he takes control and puts Trevor Simeon in the rear view. So we'll see how it shakes out uh, this coming summer. Now, we're going to talk about which 
AFC West teams got the most bang for their buck at quarterback last year. But first, let me talk to you about being a Mile High Huddle Premium member. Each and every week, we save our most analytical content for our premium members, including this article Will wrote this week we're going to talk about here in just a minute. And it might be X's and O's, it might be a long-form story, something statistical, a film room, whatever it might be, we save that for our premium members. Now, it costs 5 bucks per month to join Mile High Huddle, or you can go uh, with an annual membership, which you can save 11 bucks, costs 49 for the year. From there, you get access to all our premium content, including our members-only message boards. And as a site, though, we give back to you. As a member, you get benefits such as... 10% off on all sporting tickets, including the Denver Broncos through Ticket Monster, as well as 10% off on Broncos team merchandise through Fanatics. And I've had a lot of members and even people, friends and families of mine, friends and family members of mine, um, save a lot of money through that discount with Fanatics as a fan, whether it's jerseys, you know, hats, beanies, whatever it might be. So we appreciate you reading the site. We appreciate you listening to the show. The best way to support Mile High Huddle and also huddle up is to go premium. That allows us to continue to bring you what we believe is the most in-depth, objective Broncos analysis on the web. So go to milehighhuddle.com, click the join button at the menu at the top, and sign up. We love you. We appreciate you. So again, speaking of premium, getting back to the story Will wrote earlier this week, focused on the quarterbacks of the AFC West and the salaries the respective players uh, made in 2016. It went beyond, though, just sheer uh, stats or, or salary cap figures. Will took the time to research and crunch the numbers on exactly what kind of return on investment each team got out of their quarterbacks. For example, Will broke down the dollars spent by each team for every yard per attempt, the dollars spent per passing yard, um, and the last one, the dollars spent on each net touchdown. Now, a net touchdown is basically the difference between touchdowns and interceptions or touchdowns minus interceptions. So, for example, as a team, the Broncos threw nine more touchdowns than they did interceptions last year. So their net touchdowns would, in this equation, be nine. So this was, honestly, it was an in-depth analytical piece. It was for our premium members. And when I first read it, Will, I marveled at the mania that went into the you know, the genesis of this story, how you sat down and went, you know what, I think I'm going to write about this. It's fun, phenomenal, illuminating <laughs> read. But talk about what inspired you to write this story and really what your main takeaways were. Well, I mean, I was inspired to write it because uh, I stayed up the whole night before reading Moneyball kind of from start to finish. And so I think one of the big takeaways from Moneyball is what do you do with the constraints on your franchise financially. Um, and that's not just sports, that's all of life. But if you wanted to put it into a football lens, then I was thinking, you know, what's one of the big things that uh, separates the Broncos from the rest of the AFC West, especially now the Derek Carr sign, and it's that they don't spend any money on their quarterbacks. Obviously, Trevor Simeon was a seventh-round pick. Uh, he makes he makes about, I don't know, a, th a third, I think, of uh, what Paxton Lynch makes as a first-round pick. Right. And that'll that'll only get bigger um, until Simeon signs if he does sign again. But you know, one of my big takeaways is it it begs the question: At what point does it does allocating too much cap space to one position become a detriment to your team? Mm. And the quarterback position is like no other position in sports. It's far and away the most crucial and valuable position. But you have to think: You know, is there is there a cap on how much you should spend on it? And so I kind of wanted to get into that and. Uh, what we what we kind of 
took away from that piece is that, you know, the Raiders found themselves in a really unique position that not a lot of teams get to, which is they had a young quarterback who was really coming into his prime at the right time, making next to no money relatively. It's kind of like the Seahawks in 2013 when they won the Super Bowl. And so I wanted to compare them to the Broncos who are paying their quarterbacks even less, um, not by a lot. And then the Chiefs and the Chargers who both played both paid their quarterbacks a lot more than the Broncos and the Raiders did. So I, I think, you know, what I took away kind of to conclude that is you have to pay your quarterback a certain amount at some point because you need experience at the position and, you know, the Raiders weren't going to get away with that forever. And neither will the Broncos if they, if they stick with one guy, I don't know if they're going to pay him as much as Derek Carr, but you have to take advantage of your window. And uh, the Raiders didn't quite do it. Hopefully the Broncos can get around to that next year and hopefully they can identify a clear starter that they're going to commit to. But at the same time, it's not all about saving money. You have to use that remainder wisely. And the Broncos didn't really do that, uh, especially if you look at the offensive line, which kind of affected their quarterback play. Right, the, ba- the bad investments in Okung and Stevenson. Yeah, they, they whiffed on Okung and Stevenson at the tackle position. So if you think about it, it's great to save money uh, at any position, but if you're not allocating it in the right way, it's it's really not worth anything. Right. And it is a great opportunity. I mean, the Broncos do have a max contract guy on the roster, but he's on the other side of the ball. And Vaughn Miller, who is currently the highest paid defensive player in the league, but they still have a great opportunity to win uh, with their current, the way the salary cap, you know, the juxtaposition of the salary cap. Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, I mean, compared to Derek Carr, compared to Phillip Rivers, and compared to Alex Smith are making peanuts. So the Broncos, I mean, you look at their roster across the board, it's balanced as it comes. I mean, you can compare it to any team in the league, take away the quarterback position, and, I mean, it's hard to find a team anywhere in any division in this league that you could say is deeper uh, than the Denver Broncos as a whole. You might look at different position groups, and you might be able to find some exceptions there, but that's how, you know, John Elway's been able to capitalize on that. But what's even more interesting to me, Will, is when the Broncos did have a max contract guy on the roster in Peyton Manning, the Broncos still managed to not only maintain their competitive uh, state of the team, but go deep into the playoffs, go to two Super Bowls because of how well that general manager did uh, in terms of getting personnel, whether it was through the draft or free agency. But one question I have for you, Uh, And this was something, too, that a few readers brought up on social media after we published the story. Did you find any particular correlation between, you know, the teams who were financially efficient at quarterback and making it to the playoffs? That's a good question. And I think if we just look at the AFC West in 2016, that's a really small sample size. Although we did, I think it did factor into the Raiders going 12 and 4 after not making the playoffs in 13 years. But if you want to look around the rest of the NFL and you want to, you know, use two guys uh, who are a really good example of this, who basically make the playoffs every year and have done so uh, since 2008 was the last time they both didn't make the playoffs. And that's Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Hmm. Aaron Rodgers makes more than Tom Brady, but he still doesn't make as much money as Andrew Luck, Joe Flacco, Kirk Cousins does, which is, it's kind of mind boggling, but that just kind of goes to show how weird the quarterback market is in the NFL. And then, you know, we were, we were talking about this before the show, but Tom Brady makes a significantly 
less uh, amount of money than he's worth, definitely than he would be on the open market, which he'll never get to. But he's about, he's usually from year to year about 10th to 15th in terms of uh, overall cap hit to his team, which is a huge asset to the Patriots. If you have a guy who's, you know, if you want to think of him as 1A or 1B to, to Aaron Rodgers in terms of overall quality and, and value, and he's making, you know, a, a middling uh, contract compared to the rest of his quarterbacks, yeah. that gives you the ability to sign, uh, re-sign a lot of players, Julian Edelman, uh, a lot of guys on defense, you know, they got rid of Jamie Collins, but they're able to, to get a deal with Malcolm Butler and those guys. But that doesn't happen very often, and and that's a huge asset to those teams, and I think that's why they make the playoffs every year. Yep, but you do have to have that quarterback who is willing to take a step back financially in order for his team to remain uh, competitive. And we saw Peyton Manning do that in 2015. The Broncos asked him to take a pay cut. He was scheduled to make $19 million, took that pay cut to $15 million, so he, he forewent uh, $4 million bucks, but the Broncos, the stick they offer, or the carrot, I should say, rather than the stick, they offered in return was two separate escalating bonuses, which basically, as long as he, if he went all the way and won the Super Bowl, he'd make all that money back, and he did just that. But, you know, that type of a sacrifice allowed the Broncos to do and make a couple of small personnel moves that ended up paying big dividends. For example, Evan Mathis, right before the season started, ended up, even though he had some injury problems throughout the season, I mean, without him leading the way as a blocker at left guard, I mean, he finished as the team's leading run blocker in 2015. And so without him paving the way, would the Broncos have been able to run the ball like they were finally able to down the stretch and into the playoffs? Uh, You look at Owen Daniels, what he was able to contribute, they ended up just cutting him uh, after the Super Bowl. So that step backward financially ultimately paid dividends for the Broncos and allowed them to actually win the Super Bowl. So Tom Brady, what he's doing, maybe he's a smart one. As you say, his wife's making a ton of money, so it's not like he's losing too much sleep. Uh, I think the Brady yeah. family's going to be just uh, you know, A-OK. Yeah, and to your point, we saw John Elway do it when the Broncos won their first Super Bowl in 1997. It allowed uh, you know, John Elway took a haircut, as he likes to call it, and that helped them sign Neil Smith from the Chiefs and then Howard Griffith from the Panthers, which led to Terrell Davis's success, and that's something everybody attributes to – to the success at the end of Elway's career. So I think he saw it firsthand and he, he understands that uh, he understands how much of an asset it is to pay guys less than what they're worth, especially at that premiere of a position. And, you know, you, but the thing is you have to have a guy that that's good. And if you don't, it's, it's, you know, it, it doesn't really mean anything, but if you do put those two things together and have a, a guy who is worth a lot and somehow you convince him to take less than he's worth, that's where you're you're really in the right spot. That's the sweet spot. But, uh, hey, this year the Broncos do have an opportunity to make some hay while the sun is shining. Two very underpaid quarterbacks relative to the market. If they can – one of them can, you know, raise the ship, raise all boats – they have the depth of roster to really make some noise in the AFC. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Now, tomorrow, one thing interesting, we're, we're tracking this Thursday night, this episode. Tomorrow, which is Friday, June 30th, Amazon is releasing their second season of the NFL uh, film series, All or Nothing, a documentary-style 
uh, production, kind of a look at one team season, basically from start to finish. So whereas the Hard Knocks that's been going on at HBO for more than a decade really just has four episode that, uh, episodes that focuses on training camp and then the preseason, all or nothing follows the team throughout the entire season. And the first, uh, the first one, of course, last year was on the 2015 Arizona Cardinals, who well, went far but ultimately lost in uh, wasn't it the championship game to the Carolina Panthers? Um, yep. But this year, we're stuck with the Los Angeles Rams. Now, assuming we'd all prefer to see our own favorite team uh, in the Rams' place, which season? Here's my question for you, Will. Dating back as far as you want. Maybe it's the Tebow season. Maybe it's, uh, you know, 2015 Super Bowl 50 season. What season of Broncos football would you like to see chronicled on an all or nothing? Right. So I'm going to I'm gonna exclude, just for the sake of debate, the Super Bowl 50 season, just because I think we'd all want to see that and how it pays off in the end. But this might be kind of a weird answer, but uh, it's it's personal to me. I would say the 2006 season because that was the first year that I really started watching the Broncos. And I I don't know if you read Nate Jackson's book, Slow Getting Up, but the way he talks about uh, that quarterback change that they made when they were seven. (laughs) Yeah. When they were seven and four and they, they handed the ball over to a first round rookie named Jay Cutler. Mm. And at the time I wouldn't have known and I don't think anybody did until after the fact, but the locker room was really divided. And eventually, you know, it's it's what led to Mike Shanahan's demise a couple of years yep. later. I, I kind of want to go back and see how guys responded to that, you know, how Jake Plummer responded to that, because he was one of the most, you know, you've talked to him, he's one of the most interesting personalities to play quarterback no in, a, in a long time, I think. And so I'd, I'd kind of like to go back and see how that, you know, change the Broncos' fortune from a team that looked like they're destined to go deep into the playoffs into a, into a team that you know didn't even make the playoffs at all at the end of the season. You know, it's, I think I was a I don't know twenty six, twenty seven years old or something when that season. Uh, you know, I was well steeped in in football and in the Denver Broncos. I could not fathom how Mike Shanahan could justify benching Jake Plummer with the team sitting at seven and four. Still in first place in the AFC West, I, I remind everybody uh, to go with Jay Cutler. And there's, you know, if you read Nate Jackson's book, which I've I've thought about trying to get him on the show, or even at the very least, I, I, it's kind of old news. You know, when when the book first came out, he did a lot of media, and that probably would have been the best time to try and get him on the show. But I've even thought about possibly trying to figure out, you know, structure a podcast that would be compelling. At, you know, in a way to kind of review the salient points of the book, but especially that would be awesome. Uh, and maybe we could work on that at some point. But as you point out, that one chapter, in fact, it's titled or entitled Plumber's Crack is seriously. I mean, you can't if you're a Broncos fan or even a fan of football, you cannot put that book down. When I mean, once I started, I couldn't put it down. And it's especially so once and he's it's a phenomenal so writer in and of himself, his struggle, his story of. Uh, I believe he, if I recall right, being undrafted, going to San Francisco with Bill Walsh. Menlo College. Yep. And then, you know, finding his way eventually to Denver and then what happened after that. But it's just a phenomenal read. But I, if, you know, getting back to the question, what season, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I, having not really thought about it, I would love to see that chronicled from the inside. But just for the sake of, of parody here, I, w- I would like to see, uh, it would have been interesting to see 
a behind-the-scenes view of the 2011 Denver Broncos, the the Tim Tebow, Tebow mania, the magical season, yep. whatever, however you want to categorize it, the most improbable string of Broncos wins. I think it was seven in a row, um, and just how that team went from the doldrums to all of a sudden, you know, that it was just it turned everything around. And you know, we've we've talked about this briefly on on past episodes of the show, but you know, without that Tebow season, and listen. Just a, a quick sidebar. I recognize I'm not a Tebow uh, fanboy. Uh, I recognize his shortcomings as a quarterback, but I'll give Tim this: without that season that brought the Broncos from the doldrums of the AFC back into the not only like contention, if you want to call it that, in the AFC, you know, going to the playoffs, winning a game, and all that, but back into the public eye and and the media storm and the scrutiny that now fell on Denver. Without that whirlwind season thanks in large part to Tim Tebow. Peyton Manning, I don't think, signs it with the Denver Broncos. I mean, maybe he would. Who, who knows? I mean, it's a question for, for the ages. But I think that, let me put it this way, I think that season really laid the foundation for Peyton Manning coming to Denver. It helped him to kind of imagine where this team could go. John Elway, of course, lubed the deal, closed it down, and that, that played a huge role, of course, in him making the jump to Denver. But without that season, well... I have a hard time seeing Peyton Manning coming to the Mile High City. Would have made a lot of sense for him to go elsewhere, but he ended up coming to Denver. And I remember when the Broncos first popped up on his radar, nobody in the media, especially in the national media, thought Denver was an option because he was perceived as such an indoor quarterback that nobody in their right minds could fathom the idea that he would want to come play in uh, you know, a, a, a NFL city that has snow, plays eight games outdoors guaranteed each and every year, but he ended up coming to Denver. I, I think it turned out pretty well for Peyton Manning, uh, but I think you, I, you do make a good point about Tim Tebow. And before they put Tebow in, I think they're what were they like one and five, one and four with Kyle Orton. Yeah, one and, and four. And they, they look, yeah, they look like they're on track to be as bad or even worse than the team that they were in mm-hmm. 2010. And they're they're four and they were four and twelve in 2010, and they probably played worse than that. That was that's the that's the worst Broncos team I've ever seen. And they put they put Tim Tebow in at quarterback, and not only did they start winning games because of Tebow, but he just he galvanized the rest of the team and he made that that defense really came together at the right time to support Tebow yep. and that's you know that's probably why they won sure. most of those games with the late game heroics aside. You know, Elvis Dumerville and Vaughn Miller definitely had a big a big, you know, contribution oh, yeah. and had a lot to do with that. But, you know, if they don't if they don't improve and at least get to eight and eight and then get to the playoffs and then beat the Steelers, I don't think I don't think the Broncos do sell themselves on Peyton Manning as well right. as they would have. I think he goes to, you know, maybe Tennessee or, or Houston instead. Yes, sir. And as you say, worked out great for Peyton, worked out great for the Broncos. Poor Timmy. Poor I'd Timmy's so. the only one on the outside looking in. But, hey, at least he's still got well, baseball. He'll be a New York Met. He's, you know, he just got promoted to uh, high <laughs> A. So I think the Mets aren't doing too well. I think I think a September call-up is coming up his way. So get ready to see uh, Tim Tebow on Sunday well, Night hey, Baseball. It's that time of the week when we open up the Mile High Mailbag. Take a listener question or two. And, you know, Will and I are happy to serve as your football priest. We offer you absolution from the football gods. But first, you have to unburden your souls, unburden yourselves with the burning Broncos questions in your hearts. Hit us up on Twitter 
Uh, you can also hit us up on the premium forums at milehighhuddle.com, and we will answer your questions, address your concerns uh, at least once a week. Uh, we got two we're going to address today. The first one comes from Jacob Smith, friend of the show. His question, Will, is this. At this point in the offseason, what's the expectation of this team? It's Super Bowl for Elway and the fans. What say you? Now, my answer, Jacob, is you know there's always going to be high expectations built into this team, both internally and externally. Uh, but with all the talent the Broncos have on the roster – you know, basically a year and some change removed from winning it all. Anything but, at the very least, a postseason berth, I think, would be a disappointment. But this is one of those questions for me, Will, where until we have some clarity at quarterback, it's hard for me to answer. Even knowing if it's going to be Simeon or Lynch affects my viewpoint of how I see this shaking out, how the schedule might unfold. But what's your answer for Jacob? Yeah, uh, Jacob. Jacob's expectation is Super Bowl and I think that's I think that's been modest. I think I think we should look for 19 and 0 at the very least. If we can, you know, play a couple more exhibition games and somehow make that like 21 and 0, I would well, I would say if, that. If they win all the preseason games, I mean, you can just start stacking. Yeah, them we should we should just add that to the record, and then you know maybe maybe play on Wednesdays too. Well, no, but really, I would expect for them to compete for a wild card spot. I don't know. You know, it's you know it doesn't really help anybody to say they're definitely a wild card team or they're definitely you know 10 and 6 because yeah who knows in in june right. july you know so many things are going to change so many injuries are going to happen so who knows but i think you know we can estimate you know vaguely where they're going to be and i think they're they're one of the teams you know who knows if they're left on the outside looking in but they'll be competing for either that fifth or sixth spot in my I think opinion that's fair what I, I do i think yeah. that's fair i think that you know realistically Real down-to-earth analysis is, at this point, we don't want to set the bar too high. Uh, I mean, you can in that, you know, from a fan's perspective, you can be like, listen, this is the Denver Broncos. It's Super Bowl or bust. But some real talk. I think if you set the bar at competing for an AFC West crown and and the, and at least a, a wild card berth, I think that's a realistic expectations for this year's version of the Denver Broncos. Now, as we see year in and year out in the NFL, I mean, parity reigns supreme. The teams like in 2015 that were on top, uh, look at the Carolina Panthers, look at the Arizona Cardinals, crashed down to earth in 2016. And you can find other examples of teams that sucked in 15 and, and rose to the occasion in 16. So you never know how a season is going to shake out. The Denver Broncos, depending on how things work out with the quarterback, could come right out of the gates and, who knows, light it up because you have this new offense that has a, a history replete with consistent offensive production. You have the defense in place. I mean, there is a lot of potential there, but you have to temper them because of the inexperience at quarterback, because of a first-year head coach and all that. Yeah, and there's a couple of things that the Broncos' success is contingent on, and one of that is a rookie playing left tackle. And then, you know, you can even look at the other tackle spot in Menelik Watson, who's an injury concern pretty much every year. So there's so many things that have to break right, and we, we just don't know if that's going to happen. So if you're going to say Garrett Bowles is a pro bowler in, in year number one, then I would say, you know, maybe count on them being a playoff team, something yeah. like that. But, you know, that's that's a roll of the dice. You yeah. can't really say. We don't know. Now, another question from Mile High Maniac, at Mile High Maniac, uh, is, quote, does John Elway have a problem with alcohol? I don't understand why it keeps <laughs> happening publicly. 
I love the Duke, but it's unprofessional. Now, for those who missed it, John Elway was caught drunk outside a restaurant in L.A., uh, I believe it was last week. Now, our friend Brandon Perna made a very funny video uh, on it. Go check it out on his YouTube channel. That's good Broncos. That's good sports. It was a very comprehensive, uh, I don't know, take on what happened there. And I even tweeted that, you know, with Perna's video, Mile High Huddle really didn't need to cover the story. As a site, we chose not to cover it because it's just paparazzi BS, really. But... It is, in fairness, to, to speak to Mile High Maniac's concern, it is the second year in a row that Elway was caught on the sidewalk uh, heading for the car on the curb a little bit more than tipsy. You know, you can remember all of us the good for you, bud, meme from last year after he was asked about Miller, Von Miller, uh, etc. Now, I understand why some fans might be concerned about this, but you got to remember that Elway wasn't, you know, it's not like he was getting into trouble with the law. It wasn't a DUI or like uh, Matt Russell running into police cars drunk or any kind of like being arrested drunk in public or anything. He wasn't doing anything other than trying to get to his car. It looks unprofessional. I agree with that. Uh, I, I can't imagine Joe Ellis, the president of the Broncos, was too too happy about it. But it was really only made public by some really uh, truly invasive maneuvering by, uh, you know, the paparazzi in yeah. Hollywood. So were I Elway, however, I'd be smarter about where I chose to cut loose. I mean, he's he's currently in negotiations with the Broncos on a contract extension. And although I have no reason to doubt that he's going to resign, it's one of those things where until it's done, it's, it's just not done. But this whole thing for me, you know, it is unprofessional, but at the same time, we have to look at it through the scope that he his, his his privacy was invaded. So what's your take on this though, Will? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think, you know, it, it's John Elway and so far be it from me to, to second guess anything about him and say that, you know, he'd be a much better football executive if he if he laid off the booze every once in a while. But I here's a here's a point that I think makes Elway look a little bit better. And all you have to do is go on Jim Irsay's Twitter <laughs> at like 1 a.m. to see yeah. <laughs> to see the, the football executives that yeah, really like have after, a problem. After he's because, downed a bottle of Xanax, popped a few oxys, hit Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it was last night or maybe this morning, depending on where you live, that Jim Irsay got on Twitter and tweeted uh, a picture of a naked what? woman. I missed this. Uh, onto his timeline. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think like Barstool covered it and a, a few other wow. places, but he 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 deleted it pretty quickly. <laughs> I was hacked. so to put things, yeah, oh yeah, that's that's the best excuse of them all. I'm just gonna say some really stupid stuff on Twitter for like a week and then just tell everybody that I was hacked because you know everybody's trying to get into my Twitter account. But you know we just have to put things in perspective. So John Elway is enjoying a nice dinner, having a few drinks. There's nothing illegal about that. That's just John Elway being John Elway. He likes to cut loose every now and then. Yep. I don't blame him. Yeah. If it was Jim Mersey, I think you know that'd be a different story because I think that's a guy that actually does have a problem, all jokes aside. So I think I think we have it pretty good with John Elway. And um, to bring up that TMZ point, I think that's a pretty good point too. You know, they're pretty invasive, right. and if I had. TMZ trying to ambush me around the corner every time I had a drink, you know, I'd, I'd probably say something worse than good for you, bud. So all things considered, I think he handles it pretty well. well. Hey, that's all the time we have for today's show. Next week, we're going to resume our AFC West breakdown. We're going to pick it back up with the Kansas City Chiefs 
and uh, dive deep into the state of that AFC West franchise. Again, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can follow Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKeys6, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Again, tweet us your questions, and we'll try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Good for you, bud. Mile high huddle. I think what flavor of these new Dunkin' Coconut Refreshers you get says a lot about you. Really? What's it say about me? Well, you got the refreshing golden peach because you're vibrant, fun, and positive. Oh, what about me? The bold purple pomegranate means you're vibrant, fun, and positive. I take it I got this delicious pink strawberry because I'm vibrant, fun, and positive. Yeah, it's a simple system, really. Share the shine. Enjoy a medium Dunkin' Coconut Refresher for $3. Order ahead plus earn rewards. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer excludes classic Dunkin' Refreshers. Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet. Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more.